This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in as always. And if you haven't already, make sure you leave us a five-star review. I know nowadays you can actually do five-star reviews on Spotify. So if you love the show, make sure you get in on that action as soon as you can. Now, I want to kind of touch base and recap what's happened the last couple of months. Because I haven't been on this podcast, as you all well know, because you haven't heard my voice in a while. And the first thing I'll say is I apologize because I should have been here because I missed out on a lot of stuff over the last few months. I missed out on full gear review. I missed out on Survivor Series reviews. A lot of really cool stuff like Omega Brian Danielson or Hangman Brian Danielson, excuse me. I missed out on that. I missed out on a lot of cool stuff that I wish I had time to talk about. But there were a lot of changes going on behind the scenes at Delta Media where I was taking on a lot more. I didn't have nearly enough time to spend and do what I do every week, and that is present you the best possible product. I would never give you a half-assed product, especially about a podcast about pro wrestling, something that I'm extremely passionate about. Is when you're extremely passionate about something, you don't want to give people a half-hearted product. I pride myself on that every single day. And knowing that I wasn't going to give you the best show possible every single week, I had to take a hiatus. But now I'm back, and I actually have my own setup now. I actually have bought a microphone arm. We have an unofficial home studio that I'll be recording from going forward. So hopefully this will be the plan. This will be the vibe in terms of putting the show together and making sure we one, give you the time and make sure we drop this thing more consistently. And we make sure we go back to the regular Monday uploads at one o'clock in the afternoon. That way you can enjoy all my takes on the world of professional wrestling. Maybe we'll do an earlier upload. Who knows? But I'm back. And as much as I'm going to try, as long as I'm still employed, this podcast will go on. This podcast won't go away. This thing will continue. And I appreciate everybody for kind of hanging around. But I'm glad to be back with you and talking pro wrestling. So hopefully you enjoy the first episode back. I believe it's episode 78. It's great to be back because after all, it is January. That means it's getting that much closer to WrestleMania, the road to WrestleMania. We're not probably going to do the entire week like we did last year because that was kind of a mistake. But I think this year, 2022, is going to be a big year for the podcast. Let's go ahead and get into WWE Day 1. And the biggest headline, obviously, to take away from all this was the fact that the main event got changed to a fatal five-way for the WWE Championship because of Roman Reigns testing positive for COVID. They said this a hundred times in the pre-show and during the broadcast, it kept resetting it because obviously that was the big selling point, seeing Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns. But lo and behold, that did that changed, and it was a kind of a surprise for everybody. In fact, it happened a couple hours before the show. And you kind of knew something like this was going to come to a head sooner or later, especially with the Omicron variant and all the things that were going on with that. And you see what happened with 
the Christmas show weekends when they had a lot of guys reportedly test positive for COVID isolate. You have to shuffle up the cards left, right, and sideways. One, to make sure you protect your main event for Saturday, but also make sure you protect guys as much as possible. Case in point, Seth Rollins apparently had tested positive for COVID, and some guys had to wind up isolating and missing on those shows. He had to change a main event, I believe, to Edge versus Kevin Owens in a steel cage instead of the original game plan. And then you find out a couple hours before the show, which also brings up a different conversation of, did Roman Reigns know before then that he was having symptoms? Because you don't quite know, mainly because of the fact that, one, the SmackDown crew hadn't really done a true TV show in the last two weeks. And obviously, Roman Reigns does have, he's had leukemia in recent history, so that plays a huge role in him stepping away early on the pandemic because obviously there were no vaccines for it. And you'd assume he is fully vaccinated and boosted, which is why you have now the Omicron variant. You have the five day rule essentially. And that's why we saw guys like Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch who were, again, this is all allegedly reportedly because HEPA violations, we don't know exactly who caught it or who had it or what, but we kind of hear these things. Again, Roman Reigns admitted it and acknowledged it before WWE put out a press release about that specific person being listed as out due to COVID. But that put a monkey wrench into damn near everything. But before we get to that, we're going to go ahead and take a step back and start at the beginning of the show with the kickoff main event. And this was a really interesting match that I, I didn't know a whole heck of a lot about because I don't normally watch SmackDown all that often, especially these days. But I want to start off looking at the kickoff match. Ricochet and Cesaro taking on Sheamus versus Ridge Holland. Excuse me, Sheamus and Ridge Holland. And this was the first match I got to see of the new year. And this was a solid one. You know, the crowd was into it. The crowd loved Sheamus. Cesaro got a huge pop. Ricochet got pretty good. But then somehow, some way, the, the crowd gets drowned out to put in their own piped-in crowd noise. Which, it pisses me off that they still do this. In 2022, if the crowd's got some form of energy, just kill the crowd noise for a little bit. Kill the piped-in crap. And then the more and more this match progressed, and I realized this 100% looks like Monday Night Raw. The graphics, the font, and everything reminded me so much of Monday Night Raw, I got frustrated. But we go to the match itself. This was a solid opening contest to kind of start the show, get the crowd warmed up. Not hot, hot, but warmed up. And Sheamus and Cesaro are veterans of the game, and they know how to do things the right way. And these two went at it, and they had a really good match. Cesaro got some really good highlights going against Rich Holland in the order of goings. Hit him with a big backbreaker. And then he tagged in Ricochet, then had an assistant. I almost thought this was like an assistant for standing 450, which would have looked badass. But when I started watching the replays, I wanted rewinding because, well, Peacock apparently can allow you to do that on the laptop. I never have watched a show on the on Peacock on there. I've usually watched it through my PS4. I usually just pull the app on there, but I was busy watching the Sugar Bowl and the end of the Rose Bowl at the time the pay-per-view was getting started. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and pull it up on the Peacock app on my on on the web browser. So I would just watch that. And let me say this. That was a much better experience than I thought I'd see in 2022. 
this was the right way to do it. I think now they're billing it as a premium event. So I think they changed some things and it made it so much better. The fact you can rewind, jump back to live. That was huge because I had moments where I was wanting to kind of rewind and miss some things. I'm usually stepping out to go get something to drink or, you know, doing other things. I actually stepped out for a little bit during some of those matches, which I'll get to later. But I like the fact that Peacock actually is doing that now because they're finally recognizing, hey, we kind of bleeped up this. Overall, really good showcase here. But when Ricochet does the assisted flip, it's a double stomp. And it basically goes right on Rich Holland's face. And it looks like he gets busted open. And it's become more clear because he's actually taken out of the match entirely. Literally five minutes in, he's out. Like This is his first real TV, oh, excuse me, premium event on Peacock that he's actually having to miss a good chunk of the match. I mean, Rich Holland has kind of had that, you know, injury bug. I believe he had his first couple matches early on the pandemic on the NXT roster. And next thing you know, he just disappears and he's injured. Then he comes back suddenly after like a few months away. Rich has a really great look and I wish we could have seen more out of him, but we didn't. Sheamus at this point slows down the match, kind of builds some heat. You wind up seeing some of the blood on the mat. And he just is destroying Ricochet with the, a few Irish curses. Drawing some heat, waiting for Cesaro to get that hot tag. Cesaro finally gets it, and he absolutely brings it to Sheamus. And again, he is one of those masters of the hot tag, and he does a great job with all this. At one point, he... Gets the big swing going, 15 of those, then goes into the sharpshooter. And Sheamus is absolutely just selling like he, he's about to tap, but he grabs the rope, breaks the hold. And then Sheamus takes back over, hitting a big knee, a bicycle knee action, and gets out of the neutralizer. Then Ricochet breaks it up. The pinfall gets a white noise to the outside for his efforts. And that looked brutal, but Sheamus wanted to win in the match. After a really good looking broke kick. It's a move that you can always hit out of nowhere. It's damn good stuff every single time. I'll give this match two and a half links of boot and a solid kickoff show match in my heart of hearts. This was a really solid way to get the crowd into it. Now we get to the actual opener of the main card. And this was without a doubt match of the night. And I saw somebody actually bring this up on Facebook last night. And they said, essentially, that WWE, the way they do their pay-per-views, having the match, the best match go first, it's a bad idea. It's like, it's not just a WWE thing. AEW's been doing that for the better part of like four or five months. From the second you saw Daniel Bryan and CM Punk make their debuts in AEW, all their matches, all their really good ones, I should say, have been on first. You go back, seriously, go back about a couple months ago. Danielson Omega, his first match on live television was the first match of the Grand Slam show. Guess what? You want to get the crowd into it. And honestly, it may be the best, it was the best match tonight by far. But here's the thing, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a really smart idea. Because if you want to get people invested into an entire show, especially one that goes over the course of three hours, you want to start off with something strong. You want to start off with something hot. It's always been something that I think wrestling is missing. 
is having a really good opening contest to get the crowd warmed up and get the crowd hot. Because if you do have a match that's going to kind of be a stinky, it's just not going to like the rest of the card is going to falter because you want to have a hot crowd start off a show because you can build from there. You can have a little bit of a lull, but guess what? You can still have this crowd get into it. And I think you can have the momentum from that first match sustained over the course of the show. And this was a prime example of putting together a banger of a match to start off a show and it actually being the best thing you could do. New Day, Usos, these two have faced off a million times, and I think I'd love to see them a million more times because it feels like there's always just a little more that gets added into it, and it works so damn well. And the way they explained how this version of the feud has kind of happened, obviously, with the Bloodline and the New Day, Kingwood, Sir Kofi, we saw that build. And first off, I love the fact that King Xavier Woods is making this gimmick work for him. A lot of guys in the past, they've done it, and it just sucks the life out of you. This one, it absolutely rules. With all due respect, this one absolutely rules because they've actually made him a throne, a giant oversized king hat. He's not being, you know, a tyrannical ruler. He's just being himself, and it works so damn well. It's like you basically... Every time you do a King gimmick, it doesn't necessarily always work all the way. King Booker is probably one of those lone exceptions of guys who turn, and Macho King, obviously. Macho King, King Booker, and I think King Woods are the three kings of wrestling that made that gimmick work for them instead of it being kind of a detriment. Like, I think King Corbin, King Barrett, and King Sheamus. Those gimmicks, nobody remembers King Sheamus. Nobody remembers King Barrett all that well, but they remember the Macho King they remember King Booker and they remember they'll remember King Woods. And nobody remembers Queen Zelina. Nobody remembers that at all. Even I barely remember that actually happening. But they had the angle for this basically be the fact they actually got into this because of the fact that the referee and they actually acknowledge the referee by name, which I know was kind of considered a dirty word for a while, actually acknowledging the refs by name. But this wasn't the case. And this match was your typical fare. You saw a lot of Usos dominating early on, paying homage to their family by ramming their backside into Kofi's face, which was really cool, really great. And the fact they acknowledged that it was even better. Xavier Woods got a really good hot tag, had a modified. They didn't say what the move was, but it just reminded me so much of the cradle shock. Shout out to Chris Saban. That got a two. Jay Uso sets up for a Samoan drop. But Woods gets out of it, and then Jay connects with a corkscrew dive off the top rope. And then they did a pop-up Samoa drop for two, which reminded me so much of three-minute warning, Jamal and Rosie back in the day. That was a really cool double-team move that I've seen before from those two, but it just works so well. Then you go to later on in the match, these two are going back and forth. They're trading shots. Woods gets a big strike to reset. And then give the hot tag to Kofi Kingston. He hits his comeback sequence like it's 2K20 and is looking at Trouble in Paradise. But Kofi gets hit square in the mush and Jimmy lands the big splash for two. And right after the kickout, it was just something I noticed was there was one kid. He didn't really jump up and down throughout the rest of the show. But it was at that moment you saw that kid marking out. And that was me as a kid. Like, I think that's a lot of us as a kid. When we see our the guy we like actually kick out. 
it's a, an amazing feeling. This was one of those matches where you saw like multiple near falls, false finishes, and Kofi tweaks his knee. That was a big story telling arc because of Kofi injuring his knee a couple months ago, missing time. And these two tried to get into it. You know, Jimmy smelled blood in the water, locked in a half crab, but Kingston winds up breaking the hold and grabbing the ropes. Kofi keeps on fighting, almost gets the win after an SOS. Then you have, I absolutely love the fact they hit this move, a modified death sentence. It was basically, if you've ever, you've ever seen America's Most Wanted do that move, it was the finish. It was the death knell. They hit it as a 2.9, and they try and hit another finisher. It was called the Midnight Hour. They tried to hit that, but they can't finish it off. Usos hit a double super kick, then a two-post massacre. Xavier Woods breaks it up at the last possible second. This was a damn good match, and it finishes with a 3D for the win. Again, I said it earlier. This was a match that showed me something different. I've seen these guys face off a million times. It's a lot like watching a movie over and over again. Like let's, I, I watched, I've watched Roadhouse like 10, 15, 20 times. Every time I watch it, I've noticed something a little bit different. Notice the new. This is one of those examples of seeing something new. I've never seen anybody else hit a 3D. Now, mind you, I think they're going to call it the 1D, which is kind of weird. And maybe could be some copyright claims by One Direction. So maybe the. Uso, 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 down, down was something that they put, which somebody put on Reddit. And I absolutely love that idea, but they hit the 3d for the win. And again, that's to be expected. The second you hit that move, that's the death move because in the history of wrestling, there has never been a more protected move than the 3d. And the way they hit that spot was so damn good. This was a great opening match, probably one of the best opening matches I've seen from WWE in a good while in terms of live television. Keyword, live television and pay-per-view or premium events, as they're going to call it now, which is still weird in and of itself. I got the email this afternoon from Peacock saying the premium live event, the first premium live event of the year, WWE day one. And you can replay it right now on their app, which, again, I'm probably not going to. But if you miss anything or you want to rewatch some of this, I highly recommend you go back and watch this. If you want to go watch it down the road, go check this out. Then we get to something I think you can absolutely skip. And I'll just go ahead and run through this real quick. It's Mad Cat Moss versus Drew McIntyre. Some crappy WWE comedy before the match for Mad Cat Moss. Like, one thing for me is... Who decided this is the way to use Riddick Moss properly? I wanted to slap the creative people because of how bad these promos are. And this was another prime example that, oh, hey, you know, talking trash about Drew McIntyre, the way they say it is so childish and sophomoric. I couldn't get into it for a single second. And also the fact they have Riddick Moss out there wearing suspenders like he's Urkel from Family Matters and he's wrestling in this match. It was fine. I just didn't care much about this feud. Drew dominated pretty much for like 90% of the match and was throwing Moss, a relatively big guy around like a sack of potatoes, which was awesome. In fact, he had a really great sky high hitting him with one. It was just so damn good. Shades of D'Lo Brown. He got him elevated well above what you'd expect. Only a two count. And this match went up 
wound up going a little bit too long for my liking. And Moss got some offense in, but Drew finally ends it with a Claymore for three. And the crowd cheers for the baby face. And they're kind of like, okay, let's move on. Two and a half links to Boudin type match. And this was 100% a filler arc match and a filler arc feud for Drew McIntyre, who seems to be poised to face Roman Reigns whenever that time comes. But we'll get to that in a minute because it seems like this Drew McIntyre Baron Corbin feud isn't done yet. Obviously, Madcap Moss is only part of the problem. Now you got to go ahead and finish it off in a different way, which honestly is fine. I just am not a huge fan of seeing these kind of things go even further and hopefully it doesn't bleed into the Royal Rumble because that would be a horrible idea, to be honest. If you do it, just go ahead and blow this off on SmackDown in the next couple weeks. Just get over with, get it over with and move the hell on because they actually kind of built towards it and Corbin just started beating the tar out of him backstage and it looks like this feud continues, but apparently I was reading something, I believe it was like on Sunday morning. Again, this is being taped on Sunday, so it's a little bit different than most shows. So I saw this and apparently that was done to write him off of TV for a little bit, just at least a few weeks, just to try and get him back in shape and ready to go for mania season. So probably going to be back around the Royal rumble, which is going to be in about a month or so. Now we get to the raw tag team championship match. So we get a really fun match here between the street profits and RK bro, Angelo Dawkins, Randy Orton. They went up. I don't have a really good start to this contest. Good early feeling out progress process. They have some mind games kind of taunting Randy Orton. And the second Montez tags in, I was thrown off by this. Like, why did you do this? Just started dancing. I guess to show off to Migos, I guess, whatever. And this was a decent match. I give it about three links to Boone. The match really started getting into it around the time Orton got his hot tag. And then the WWE 2K backstage or comeback sequence happens. And he hits a double elevated DDT on to Ford and Dawkins. It's both of them with it. Sets up for the RKO, but Ford counters with a nice roll-up. Riddle and Dawkins fight go to the outside. Ford throws Orton out of the ring and hits a massive dive over the ring post to RK Bro. Orton tries a superplex, but Ford blocks it. And then he goes for a dive. Orton misses it. Riddle sets him up and throws Ford up. Hits a pop-up RKO, and they retain the tag team titles. This is a fine match. Wasn't amazing. If it was probably five minutes shorter, it would have probably been a little bit higher ranked, three and a half links of Boudin, because it just was so slow to start off. And again, this is the point of the show when you're right in the middle. He's only got a couple more matches left on the card. And this just slowed the show down a little bit. Because he got through kind of your, your filler match on the card. You needed to have something that was going to get this crowd back up. It did to a certain extent, especially the pop of RKO looked great and the reaction to it was what you'd expect. Then you get to edge versus the Miz. As I was about a slow match. This was a like methodical plotting match. that took way more time than it needed to edge brings back the brood entrance. Great stuff. Good back and forth. Edge tried to keep locking in the cross face throughout the match, but Miz kept avoiding it. Edge took back some control early on after Miz got some momentum. But Maurice distracted the radar superstar while they were, while they were outside the ring. Miz pushed him into the ring post. 
then it started getting a second gear, but midway through, Miz tried to hit the sculpt crushing finale on the announce table, but Edge counters hits a phase buster on the table. Doesn't break, but it didn't really go through the table. It was almost on the little cover they have on it. Edge is a nice crossbody for two. Then Miz tries to hit the figure four edge counters, and Miz locks it in after a chomp block to his leg. Edge's shoulders looked like they were down in the beginning, but there was no actual count, and he kind of kept moving once he realized, oh, hey, it looks like they are at least somewhat down. Edge locked in the crossface after teasing it, but Maurice positioned Miz on the rope to force Edge to break the hold. Really good counter sequences, and there's a big double down with Miz and Edge both hitting big boots. Great stuff here. Miz takes over some really good vintage offense. Edge meets him and connects with a nice hip toss. Maurice absolutely bops Edge in the head. Miz hits Skull Crushing Finale for two. And then a few moments later after, I think somebody missed a cue. But you didn't need the cue. This is something I hate about wrestling more now. When it comes to these big surprises, you could have just had Beth Phoenix show up. But you had to play her music. I understand. doing, But fans were already cheering. It's something that I think AEW does extremely well. Because imagine if you had Kyle O'Reilly debut and had his music come on. It would have lessened the impact. If John Moxley came out in his debut in AEW and had music and came down the ramp, it would have lessened the impact. Just have Beth Phoenix show up out of nowhere. And then you have this reaction where it's a holy crap moment. You have that huge pop because they just show up randomly instead of, oh, hey, we have to wait for their music to hit. We have to wait for a specific cue. You have that person ready to go and maybe jump the guardrail or something. You have it work the angle a certain way, but you ha- but in WWE, you have to do it the same way you've been doing it for years, and it just ruins the surprise. People were already cheering. Just go ahead and have her run in. You don't have to wait for a very specific cue. It's frustrating. But then Edge, Edge capitalizes on the distraction. Hits a spear on the Miz and gets the win. Three and a half links of Boone Fine stuff. Again, a lot like the third match on the card. This could have been a little bit shorter. But again, you've got a four-hour window to fill. And you were down a match. So you had to kind of do the old fill for time. And those two did a good job in terms of filling time. I hadn't looked at the bell-to-bell times for the show. Because I don't normally pay attention to all of that. At least not anymore. Unless it's a really long, notable match, and you know what the time limit is. Edge and Miz was the longest match of the night by far with about 20 minutes. That could have been brought down, I think, to about 15, and that would have been a really brisk pace and give a lot of these other matches time to breathe. But again, you're down a match, so you got to kind of fill time somehow. Now we get to the Raw Women's Championship match, Liv Morgan versus Becky Lynch. Early on, Becky tries to quickly end the match with the manhandle slam. Liv gets out of it. She starts taking it to big time. Bex hits a great-looking double stomp on Becky. The entire match was a showcase for what exactly Liv can do. She was hitting at rings of Saturn on Lynch, which looked fantastic. She does this like twice in the match, and seeing those are absolutely great. It's a, I mean, the fact she's able to do more of this luchador stuff is going to get her over, and this was a great showcase for her 
to be taken a little bit more seriously in the WWE because I think that was something that I noticed a lot in the last, I think, couple of years is that Liv, go back to 2020, Liv was in a weird angle with Lana that never really got resolved because they because Miro eventually got released and then they kind of just scrapped it. This was a great match that showcased, hey, this is what she brings to the table. Let's see what she can do. Becky was just every time she was trying to put her away, Liv kept fighting back. You get to see that frustration and maybe like, what am I going to have to do to get rid of her? She should be easy money for her. It should be a quick payday. It wasn't. She has a Bex Ploder suplex, and that's a one count. At this point, Liv is absolutely fighting for everything, and it's really good to see that. It's not just a one-sided affair. And really interesting move that I've never really seen before, and I couldn't think of a name for it. But Morgan at one point near the corner, she does a backstabber, but basically puts her boots up and lynches back and then pushes her into the corner. She had a really good drop kick as well for two from the Brett's row. Slow count on Morgan's roll up out of the arm bar. And there's a lot of stuttering on my laptop during the show. Mind you, I probably had too many windows up and my laptop. It's really good, but sometimes those kind of things you run into from time to time. Then Becky went for a guillotine leg drop, but Morgan moves out the way. It's a great drop kick, very similar to the one she had earlier off the top rope. Becky rolls out the ring. She had a tope suicida. Becky lured her in and beats her down outside the ring and tries to get a count out. She gets back in at about the count nine. I forgot to mention this earlier, but Lynch teased a superplex, but Liv gets out of it and has possibly the move of the night. And it's not even close. A sunset flip power bomb, but it wasn't like your traditional one. She had some lucha ish on this and it looks so damn good. And this is something I talked, I was mentioning. She has gotten so much better in the ring. It makes her look like a legitimate star versus what they've treated her as in the last, like the length of her career, like as being that kind of afterthought enhancement talent. She's gotten so much better. I think that this year could be a year where she's considered to be one of the most improved. If she's able to keep this going, you look at Mandy Rose, Mandy Rose has gotten so much better over the last year She's put in the work and put in the hours. Liv Morgan has been putting in the work, but I think now she's started to actually have the opportunity to do that. She hit the rings of Saturn again towards the end of the match, but Lynch rolled that into a quick pin attempt for two. And then Morgan tried going for oblivion, but that turned into a manhandle slam, which was a really great segue into that maneuver. No doubt in my mind. And that was it. Becky Lynch retained via pinfall. This was a four links of Bude match. Second best match of the night in my mind. And I think it's obviously Usos. And a lot of y'all actually agreed. I'll get to the poll results that we put up on Twitter last night, immediately after the show. Like we always do. You can follow us on Twitter, by the way, at Cajun Strong Pod. That's at Cajun Strong Pod. But a really good match and a great effort from Liv Morgan, who is kind of being put over now. She's actually being treated like a legitimate threat. So now we get to the five-way. Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, and Big E. And Lesnar's still crazy to look at with the man bun, and immediately Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins go immediately to Suplex City, and you can tell right away, this is pretty much, and I, I said this to a friend of mine, 
If you've played SmackDown, Shut Your Mouth or Day of Reckoning or something like that, this was basically one of those matches that you have with your friends. This was car crash TV and it worked so damn well. Lashley takes out E, then Spears Lesnar through the barricade. That looked great. Lashley attacks Owens and Rollins, but the number ga- numbers game is a little bit too much. Rollins and Owens then attack Lesnar and Lashley with steel steps. My DraftKings pool was ruined almost immediately. They set up the announce table for a double suplex, but he gets out of it. E hits a urinogion and Lashley through the announce table. It's been insane. Kevin Owens and Rollins hit a double, T, double DDT on Lesnar on the steps. Owens hits a powerbomb for two, and then goes for a swanton bomb, but E gets his knees up, then Rollins hits a damn near coast-to-coast frog splash and gets a two count. Rollins tries for the stop, but Lesnar comes out, spams his finishers on everyone, then Lashley connects with a massive spear for about 2.9. Lashley tries locking in the hurt lock, but Big E breaks it up. E hits the big ending on Lashley, then tries to hit on Lesnar, but he counters, hits an F5 to win the championship. That's it. Bada bing, bada boom. Four links of Bune. Back crap crazy and felt like a video game match where everyone started to hit all their finishers, and then Brock Lesnar wins the title, which, again, I'm not a huge fan. I am not a huge fan of having Brock Lesnar win the title there. Mind you, they have ruined Big E's title reign. This was supposed to be his crowning moment. And you basically have had him. Somebody brought it up. I think it was Matthew from Botchman. It basically said that in a matter of him winning the title, from the time he won the title to the time he lost it, he has lost like damn near every match he's looked like i'm not gonna say he's looked like a geek but it's probably one of the worst feuds ever so i, I pulled up the tweet this is coming from somebody on twitter and baffy from botchamania actually retweeted it so since he won the title on september 13th he lost to roman in a triple threat and bloodline in a trios on september 20th lost to the usos by countout on october 10th Lost to Rollins and the Usos on November 15th. Lost to Roman at Survivor Series. Lost to Owens by disqualification on November 29th. Lost to Lashley on December 13th. And then loses the title to Brock on day one. That is a horrible, like, way for Angle to go. This was a disappointing match, just in terms of the end result. Because there was a tweet that was put, I think, from Fox Sports where they accidentally put the wrong name on that main event. And it was supposed to be, according to that, Big E. Now, I don't know the validity of that or how true that statement is or not. But if that was even remotely true, I think WWE is out of their damn minds. Now, I want to see what the end game is here because they still got to pay off the Roman Brock angle. Now, how do you book yourself out of this corner? Do you just have, do you just give away the match of Lashley versus Brock at WrestleMania or you do that at the Royal Rumble, then you move on to having Roman versus Brock at WrestleMania night two? I've got an idea and I'm probably going to mention it a lot more in detail next week once I have some time to kind of think about how to do it. But I think there's another way to do it. I think the way you have it go down is you have Drew McIntyre take on Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. That's on night one. Then you have Brock 
And, you know, Lashley, you have Brock versus Bobby Lashley. You give away that match. That's your big main event for night one. Night two, it's Roman versus Brock, title versus title. You have to pay this feud off. Now, yes, Roman Reigns probably wins that match, probably wins the main event, and wins both belts. But that's something that I think WWE, and I wrote this out many moons ago about when they did it the first time in 2013. Yes, they had the undisputed titles before that back in 2001, but I'm talking about in terms of the modern when they wrapped up the brand split. I think there should just be one undisputed title, and this is a way to do this. And I think there's an opportunity for this angle to pay off massively. You just have to see it through if you're WWE. And I'm interested to see how it all goes down. Because now you have something here that could be an amazing platform for a really cool story. And there's even higher stakes to this feud. Versus, oh, hey, let's just go ahead and have Roman versus Lesnar for the title like we did just a couple months ago at Crown Jewel. Again, if we're being honest, there's something there. But when it comes to Big E's title reign, it may be one of the worst for a babyface especially in a long time. I'd probably go back. I'd go back as far as to say in terms of a babyface, it's the worst one they've done since Rey Mysterio. If you want to see Kofi's was pretty bad, no. Kofi's was way better. It ended on the worst possible note. But here's the thing. That was the right thing to do in terms of giving a huge moment on the first SmackDown. I have always defended Kofi's reign ending to Brock Lesnar. Because you had that big main event. And you have to make people intrigued. That's how you did it. It may have driven off some fans, but guess what? You wanted to pop a huge rating for that show. Brock Lesnar ain't showing up on a SmackDown and wrestling a match on free TV without something there. It's almost full circle. 20 years ago, Brock Lesnar was supposed to face Steve Austin and a King of the Ring qualifier. And Stone Cold walked out. It's a very similar situation what happened in 2019. Fast forward to 2022. I feel like Brock Lesnar pulled creative control. I could be completely off base with that, but I think Brock Lesnar knew, hey, give me this title. We'll figure something out. Hell, you can have Brock Lesnar lose it to Bobby Lashley and have him look like an absolute monster in that match. But I think there's something more they want to do with this, especially if... And this is the big hypothetical because obviously Roman Reigns had leukemia a couple of years ago. You don't know how COVID, the Omicron variant that he has, is affecting him. You don't know how it affects a lot of people. But I think somebody who is immunocompromised, it's very tough for you to determine how that's actually affecting him. So it's going to be intriguing to see how that all is being handled not too far down the road. But I appreciate you listening in to the first podcast of 2022 for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Cajun Strong Pod, or you can follow us on Facebook. Just search Cajun Strong Style. Same thing with the Instagram page. 
And we also are on YouTube as well. Go ahead and subscribe there. And if you haven't already, make sure you leave a five-star review for our Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Google Podcasts still hasn't done anything new when it comes to the conversation about ratings on their platform. Maybe we'll get to that in 2022. Maybe it's one of their New Year's resolutions. I know my New Year's resolution. It's to enjoy some pro wrestling. And trust me, there is a lot of it. In fact, I was just coming to the realization like today was looking at how the shows are going to be going. Three Nights of Wrestle Kingdom, New Year's Evil, NXT, Hangman Danielson 2, and Hard to Kill. Trust me. We ain't stopping. This train has, uh, it's like a steam engine, and there's so much more energy left to expand. So I'm Clint Doming. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy the wrestling this week, and I'll talk to you next time.